I'm Ankur. And I'm Phoebe. And this is Arts Work. We work at Sadler's Wells, a leading dance organisation. And this is a podcast where we look at different roles in the creative industries and how you could find your way in. Hey, Phoebe. Hey. So who are we talking to this week? This week, we are speaking to Catherine Billiard, who is the director and founder of Artcry. What's Artcry? So Artcry is a rolling fund, which is a fund that you can apply to any time. And you will get a decision within seven days, which is unheard of in fundraising. And it's a fund which was set up by Catherine and a group of other individuals who helped along the way to enable artists and groups to apply for funding to create a work that is in a response to a social or a political issue. And the important thing to say is that every piece of work has to be free to view and available in the public realm. Cool. So like outdoor spaces, museums that are free, that kind of stuff. Exactly. And turning those decisions around in seven days. I know. Super quick. Honestly, as a fundraiser, it blows my mind how they've managed to do this. But it's amazing. You know, this is great. means funding, I hope, is going in this direction. And so you'll hear about how certain networking events with other artists and other industry folk were pivotal, really, in helping to progress her idea. And she met a lot of people that have become close partners for delivering this and making it happen, including Alistair Spaulding, the artistic director of Sadler's Wells. Mm, I have heard Alistair talk about it as he goes up and down the halls about like being really excited by the ideas that are coming in and, yeah. and how they're able to fund it in such an agile and quick way. So I can't wait to hear more about it. And you know, Catherine trained in stage management and then her day job is she's an exec producer at Improbable, which is a theatre and opera improv company. And actually that's where we start. As a producer, I now work at a company called Improbable. We're a theatre and opera making company. All of our practice is based in improvisation. And my job as producer really is to make that work happen. And that can really mean anything. (laughs) I've been there a year, so I'm still figuring that out. And we have yet to make a full production. So (laughs) ask me in six months and it might be a bit different. What a time to start. Yeah, it's been uh, fascinating. We're developing a lot of new shows. We've done some R&D periods, which is really exciting. As soon as we can get into a room, it feels really exciting. A lot of fundraising this year for Improbable and for Art Cry also. And for Art Cry, because I'm a founding director of the organisation, basically it's my job to drive it and to keep it going and to keep it happening. Set the strategy, rope people into volunteering large amounts of time, which we're doing. (laughs) I'm on the panel of decision makers uh, on the applications that get funded. So we have a lot of conversations around that. I raise the money, I do the social media. uh, (laughs) So I, uh, I do it all really with a great deal of help and support from lots of brilliant people. And I think probably the main thing about my job is for Artcry is trying to get other people involved in Artcry and behind it so that it flies. How did you get to the point where you decided to set it up? Where did the inspiration come from? I want to say it was 2019, but I'm losing track of years now. There was like a wave, a sort of summer of protests on the street. People were trying to stop Brexit. Prorogation of Parliament happened. Prorogue, the word that no one had ever heard of yeah. and then suddenly was everywhere. <laughs> and I still can't say it, but I was very angry about it at the time. And I was looking at that one in particular, looking around and wanting to see something specific and creative that nailed why this was outrageous. I went on one of the protests on the street and there was like a bit of I hate Boris and there was a bit of environmental protest and there was a bit of prorogation protest. And I was like, 
where's the thing that's going to tell people who don't know that don't feel as outraged as me that this is outrageous I felt that what we saw was a lot of images of protest and people were becoming immune to them. And I was also feeling very frustrated that my friends and myself include, like, absolutely included in this, but entrench ourselves, we generally as a community, I think, at the moment, entrench ourselves on these opinions and dig ourselves into them and then don't shift. And it's like you just reinforce your opinion to yourself over and over and over again. And it's, you know, we talk about echo chambers and we talk about social media in that way. And I think that's right. And so... I was looking for and couldn't see creative protests that held a different kind of space, that held a different kind of window into a perspective that could shift the dial in any way. And I was working at Emergency Exit Arts at the time, which is an outdoor arts company. And I worked there with loads of brilliant artists, really political. The roots of that organisation are from political outdoor arts movements of the 80s. There's a picture that we use on the Art Cry website that is loads of puffins. And it was loads of people dressed as puff with big puffin heads on, like, uh, I don't know, maybe a hundred of them. Maybe I'm exaggerating. It looks like a lot in the picture. And it was a Greenpeace protest. And they had a giant kind of banner that they had remade a poster for something that included like fish oil or something like that and they they flooded a public space like a big square or something to protest this work presumably is quite radical yeah it was quite radical basically kind of based on communal action so there was protest with costume or there would be big builds of things often that got burnt down i think at the end of the night yeah uh, so like kind of like a giant bonfire really there was a sort of surge of outdoor arts becoming a sector almost i think in and around the 80s Summer 2019, loads of protests. (laughs) Loads of protests, working with loads of brilliant artists who were very political, made beautiful work. Sometimes combined them, but not always. And also artists who developed a lot of their own projects, but didn't necessarily apply for lots of funding themselves. So worked with organisations who held that. And I was interested in what the blockers were and why more arts weren't being made on the streets as part of creative process. I was thinking about, as a producer, how can I support people who might want to make this work, who aren't at the moment, And it became very clear very quickly that there just wasn't any funding to do that. There wasn't a fund that existed specifically to support artists wanting to make responses to social or political issues. Yeah, there was no, there wasn't fund for any quick response fund. So the fastest turnaround that I could find on a rolling fund, you know, pop-up response funds happen. So around particular issues, like we saw quite a lot at the beginning of pandemic, for example, about Mm. artists making work, small commissions. But there wasn't a rolling fund faster than the Arts Council's project grant fund, which is up to 15 grand, takes six weeks to turn around. And, you know, is a whole skill set just to apply for that in its own right and requires match funding and all sorts of stuff. So unless you're already attached to a building, you already have a really good relationship with someone who might just cough up and commission a piece of work that you want to make on the fly. Or you have your own personal wealth that drives it. And like that's why you see a lot of creative protests is voluntary. It's just people doing it because they feel like they need to do it. So unless you have those two things, personal wealth or connection to somebody with wealth, effectively, it was basically impossible. And it's also generally very difficult if you're saying, I'm making an overtly political piece. It shuts down quite a lot of funding avenues. So it was a combination of both of those things, but especially being able to respond quickly as issues hit headlines people are making those decisions that they then sit in and refuse to budge from. How can art be interjected into those moments to loosen that up, to break up people's thinking, to show a perspective that someone hasn't heard before? 
in that kind of crucial moment of debate as it happens. That's what we were really interested in. You used the word window a couple of times there. Talk to me a bit about what you mean by that. I guess that's just my personal feeling as someone who goes to see a lot of arts. It was often the way I learned best at school because I felt like somehow I could see through into something that was beyond where I was. Even things like history, I connected through, you know, we did a lot of World War history. I connected much more to that through the poetry that was written about it than I did through statistics. And I think that it does that. It Quite often artistic responses can open that space for someone to think about it or to think about it later or to hear a voice that they don't normally hear and see, be able to glimpse something that can start a train of thought. I feel like art changes people and people change the world and therefore it's valuable. I don't know who I took that from. I'm sure I've heard that somewhere. That's not me. <laughs> it can sneak up on you when you have deliberately gone and watched something that you've had to put your phone away for. It just speaks to a different part of your brain that then can have, you know, can kind of provoke further thought and further conversation. Yeah, I think often it connects to an emotional response and can awaken empathy, which is lacking, I think, in a lot of particularly political decision making. And I just think that it's different. It's different to be faced with a creative response than to be faced with a protest, even though those two things might both be protests in some way. I think it can awaken agency in people to think, oh, I, I also have, I'm also part of the collective responsibility. I'm, I'm part of this. I'd never thought about that before or the impact that that might have. How did you get from there to where it is now? So I went to, still go to a network called What Next? What Next is a national network of people who work in the arts all sorts of different people who work in the arts and gather to think about how we make the sector better and what we want to do as a sector in the world. We used to meet at 8.30 at the Young Vic on a Wednesday morning. Now it's all online. Anyone can join. So for me, it was a really important space because when I first started going, I was an events manager at Battersea Arts Centre and it was access to space with people like Alistair, people like David Job, who ran Batty Art Centre, lots of brilliant people in that room who I didn't normally get to be in rooms with. So for me, it was it was a bit of a game changer generally in how I thought about the sector. And I was talking to uh, Lizzie Crump, who is a strategic lead, national strategic lead, I think is her job title, of that movement of people. She said, why don't you do a pitch for ideas at what next, next week? And so I had to think about, okay, well, what would I do about this? And it was only five minutes. I hate speaking in front of people. So I was quite nervous about it. So I thought about it. I was like, oh, you know, and there's lots of great people in that room. So I really didn't want to embarrass myself. And thought about what do I think we could do? And I was like, what could we start a fund? We could have probably run a project. But what was the, the difference was the longer term solution to this problem. So Artcry is a fund. The idea is it is a rolling fund, <laughs> fundraising pending, that you can apply to at any time. You get a decision on your application in seven days so that you can start making work. You have to be making work that's politically responsive and you have to be making work that is presented for free and in the public realm. It doesn't always have to be presented for free in the public realm. It could be an existing piece that you want to bring out in this particular moment or it could be going on somewhere else. But that's the bit that we are interested in funding. And that's mainly because I'm interested in how you reach audiences when you put something in their path as opposed to them having to seek it out. And the audience is so different. And so that's why it was public realm. How did you get to that 
to those two things as your criteria? Those were always the core things, especially the speed of response. Actually, originally I was like, what if we could turn around decisions in 24 hours and everyone told me to calm down? (laughs) And they were right. A week is hard enough. Uh, 24 hours would be impossible. And we got there, but we got there through conversation. So we also created, for example, a set of values alongside that. And by we, I mean, I, Alistair was at that, Alistair Spalding was at the, that what next conversation. And he was the first person who said, that's a good idea. I'll have a cup of coffee with you if you want and talk that over. And then from there, we roped in other people like Susanna Lane, who has then been involved all the way through. And I talked about it a lot and got lots of people's opinions. And people challenged me a lot. What do you mean by this? What do you think about that? And then as this group gathered that became the steering committee and the first panel, together we hashed those things out and thought, what do we think? What does this need? We asked a lot of people. We talked to a lot of artists about how many questions they would realistically answer before they think, no, I'm not going to apply for that. Basic things and I guess the ethos of it grew out of just basically a lot of conversation. How have your other jobs or experiences that you've had before ArtCry helped you with ArtCry in particular? It's all informed it, I would say. Mainly as, as I've gone along, feeling more confident in making stuff up. I'm more confident in making things happen. I'd probably only just reached the point where I would have felt confident enough to go, maybe I actually now do have the leverage and the network to try and get people, because it's taken a lot of volunteer hours to make art cry happen. I had good relationships with a number of artists who supported the launch, for example, and I'd probably only just been in a place where I could have realistically achieved that for, I don't know, six months. Maybe. I think if six months earlier, I would have been, no, it can't be me. I could help, but I can't drive that. Uh, so, and I think that came, actually, a lot of it probably came from being at EEA, where I was producing and I just had a lot of free reign in my job and it gave me lots of confidence. I had brilliant bosses who told me, go for it, make it happen. And so I was starting to, and it meant that I felt like I could do that. And so if we go, I'll try and make it happen. And lots of people kept saying to me, that's a good idea. Yeah, we should have that. I can't believe it doesn't exist. Do yeah. it. And the more people say that, the more you think, okay, well, I've, it's not going to be anybody else. It's going to be, it's got to be me. So off I go. <laughs> yeah. You've got permission now. You yeah. Yeah. It. And I, I think particularly women often seek permission. And so I don't really want to exaggerate that trope, but I think it was a process of giving myself permission to go there's no reason it shouldn't be me. So how did you go about practically setting it up? And, you know, was that hard? Were there any surprises? It was really hard. (laughs) Still is really hard. I decided we needed a panel first because we were going to ask people for money, but without telling them what we were going to spend the money on. And so who was making those decisions felt really crucial as to whether people would cough up any money or not. Because fundraising for a fund is a whole different beast, I have discovered. So we gathered that group of people and we got some great artists on board to help who sort of said, yes, I'll help in theory. Tell me what you need when you need it. And I said, great, I'm banking that. I'll be back. And I went and I talked to the lady, Loie Mitchell, who used to be the chair of the development committee at the Donmar while I worked there. I did a lot of events with her, so I knew her pretty well. We'd spent quite a lot of time together and I went to her for her advice and said, and she's, you know, quite political, politically minded. So I went to her and said, what do you think about this idea as a donor? 
would you ever give money to something like this? Do you think it has value? Because I felt safe enough talking to her to sort of test the waters and I knew she'd tell me if she thought it was rubbish. Or she'd tell me I wouldn't give unless you had an accountant and I felt like you weren't going to throw my money, money right. Exactly. Like things like that. Like what would you look for in something new? And she became our uh, husband, Parry, became our cornerstone supporters. They gave us our first donation, uh, which was great. And that was the first person who said, yes, I'll give you some money. And so that, that was before we had a website. It was before we even had a name, actually. It was before we had anything except the core idea, the core concept. And so that made me feel like, okay, we can do that. So then I had a panel, I had a donation and a fairly honed down idea by this point. And the more people challenged me, the more I was like, no, I feel really confident behind this idea now. <laughs> that was, was good. So then we built a website because that made it feel more real. And then we did one event and then it was pandemic. And so we paused for a bit because it didn't really feel right to be trying to start a new fund when the focus was on emergency funding. So we, so we paused for a bit because everyone was concentrating on that in various different ways. And then I started to feel frustrated later in the year that it still didn't exist. And once I got enough frustration behind the fact that it still didn't exist, because um, we had, you know, whole civil rights movements in that time period and mm. Black Lives Matter campaign and lots of political decision making around around things. And so again, I was starting to feel like frustrated. I haven't made this happen yet. We're so close. The website is there. Uh, so, <laughs> so we started again. And originally I was like, oh, I want to get a certain amount of money before we launch so that it feels more real and I know we can fund things. And in the end, I was like, I don't think that's really achievable. I can't go meet people. I can't take them out for lunch. I can't do one-on-one -on -one convincing them. So instead, we launched straight into our crowdfunder and that's how we started. And then we opened the following month with what we had raised in the crowdfunding campaign, which was like just over 11K and started distributing that. And now it's an ongoing fundraising granting Hmm. cycle at the moment we still have 10k in our account <laughs> and it feels like a big win because we're not that far from where we started and so it's like we never have that much money but we've never run out so Amazing. that's the key <laughs> how do you keep it all going you mentioned fundraising for a fund has been you know a bit surprising at times how are you keeping that going now we've met a few other individuals who've donated as we've gone along which has been really good and a well-known artist, and we haven't announced this yet or shared it, we will at some point. I just haven't got to it. This is a capacity question. <laughs> Sold a piece of work and donated the proceeds to Artcry. And we also got funding from the Network for Social Change, which is a group of people who are all anonymous. So I don't know who they are except the one person who championed our project, who have their own personal wealth and combine it to support different projects and they nominate different projects and support them. And they picked up Artcry because I posted it speculatively on their like notice board because one of them has to champion the project and someone picked it up and championed it for us and we've just got some funding through from that which is amazing both of those things are really interesting because actually the one from the artist is you know clearly there was a relationship there and it you know there was a sort of personal connection that kind of made that happen yeah as a fundraiser that's the sort of tried and tested that's how you raise money quickly is you go to the people who know you and trust you and already get it and that's lovely and it's great when they come through the network for social change that is when you really know that you've kind of made it is when you post it and it's just the idea of the thing that somebody who you have no connection to just sort of falls in love with and thinks this is great yeah reading their ethos it felt a lot like what we were trying to do pull resources to create meaningful change and mm. to support projects that are making change 
in society. That's really the whole point of Art Cry. I don't think it needs to be a huge amount. It just needs to be a regular pot that people can go to for small amounts to enable people to make that change wherever they are. So the seven day turnaround, if you're an artist, like what's the process? We have a form on the website or you can send us a video. So either or, because some people don't express themselves best in writing. It's as short as we could make it while gathering the information that we thought we needed. Who's involved? What's your idea? What do you want to spend the money on? Why does it have to happen now? And um, is there anything else we have a box? Like, is there anything else that we could support you with? Because I can't guarantee that, but, you know, we've got an amazing panel and people involved now. So there's a chance that we could broker extra connections and things like that. And so they fill that out, they send it in and the panel all read them. We all read them, I would say, at least a couple of times a week, because if we have questions, we want to be able to go back to the artists and then come back and discuss within a seven day window. Gosh, so you and the panel are all in touch 52 weeks of the year by the sounds of things. Yeah, it's it's been, it's been a lot. And to start with, I was all like, everyone will then just, you know, Everyone has to read them once a week and then we'll make decisions. But actually, that's not really the way it goes. So we do it all remotely. So we'll read them and comment on them. And we have a kind of session a week where we can debate and discuss. But that's the idea. The criteria is that every panel member bar one has to want to fund it for it to get funding. And we've set that as a really high bar because we don't have that much money. And because when we get those projects at Unite Us, all those are the ones that are really exciting. So far, it's proved a good test, I think, if you can get everyone but one on board. It's quite hard because mm. uh, everyone has varying opinions. Well, that was also another question is how did you come up with the balance and the makeup of the panel? We always knew we wanted a group probably between five and ten because above ten felt like it would be too difficult to get everybody together to actually have a conversation and I wanted everyone to feel engaged in it. And less than five felt like you wouldn't have enough perspectives and a diverse enough group of people making decisions for it to be interesting group of artists. We always wanted it to be artists, kind of creative-led. And I think that's really good. And also I hope that part of the aim of that is that it feels more accessible to apply to if you're not somebody who applies to lots of funding Mm. because you're not applying to people who usually run funds. You're applying to artists who also apply for funds and will hopefully think about your work and give you space and kind of use their imagination and think where this might fly as opposed to feeling like, oh, well, they probably want me to say X, Y or Z on this form. So let me just fill this in. How have you managed to get ArtCry in front of the people who you want to apply? Well, we had a panel and they had their various networks, our steering committee. And then we had a group of advocates who around the launch who all came on board to help spread through their networks. And they were artists from different disciplines, people who are in different geographic locations. I talked about it a lot. (laughs) Things like What Next or other kind of network meetings. Basically, whenever somebody would let me talk about it, I would talk about it. Around the launch, around the crowdfunding campaign, we got seven artists to make pieces of work. So that spread it through their networks. We had somebody helping us with PR and that's what we still do. So we're still trying to get people to spread the word in that way. And um, obviously now we've got artists making work who've been funded by it so it goes out to what extent do you take into consideration the demography of the people who are applying to you yeah we do as we went along we were noticing and informally tracking how people identified in their application we don't ask people to do an equal ops form as they apply or something because it's 
unnecessarily laborious, I would say, for someone who's applying for, I don't know, maybe a thousand pounds. But people often say things about who they are. We often know where they're making their piece of work, for example. Uh, So we've thought about that. At the moment, I would say, actually, we haven't even really got to the strategy of like where we've looked at that data and gone, right, we've never had an application from Cornwall. We have actually, but... um, (laughs) You know, so how are we going to reach the Cornish arts community or something like that? We haven't really been, to be honest, and that's probably just a capacity thing. We probably should. Um, and we think about it with who who we're funding, definitely. So far, we funded eight pieces of work. So there's not really a kind of major bunch in anywhere that would stop us funding any one thing. And there was a point where we had funded, or the, our first two applications came from white women. As we went along, we were like, hmm. We should notice this trend, for example. But I would say that it's just, it's evened out. So and it's too early in a way, actually, at the moment. And in terms of medium, I mean, as well, not just the people making them, but the kinds of work they're making, I guess. Is that also a feature? Yeah, absolutely. And I think probably one of the most major ones in terms of um, making sure we're spreading it to artists who might apply. And quite a, a sort of easier thing to monitor. So at one point we were like, mm, we haven't really had a, very many poetry applications. So we got some of our advocates who were from the poetry sector to kind of do an extra push, for example, out to people. And we have now funded some poetry, so that's great. So can you tell me a little bit about a, one of the pieces that got funded and, and how they made it happen? The most recent piece of work that we funded that's out is called One Year On. It was made by Ryan Joseph Stafford and Kel Matsina. And they took over on the anniversary of the murder of George Floyd. They took over the front of the National Waterfront Museum in Swansea. Ryan is a lighting designer and a projection artist, brilliant one. And Kel is an artist, poet, performer, dancer, genius Uh, and his poetry was projected really large scale with some film that they had done across the front of the museum and it was live streamed it was an amazingly beautiful project the poetry is really really stunning it was giant and public space it was in response to this particular moment in time and how that moment felt having just been reading the race report and a year on feeling like there was a lot of conversation and where was the action and where was the actual meaningful change and their response to that. They applied to us. We, I think we made the decision on the very last day. We phoned them. They were like, we need to start if we're going to start. And it was on a week after that. So there was only two weeks between when they applied and when it was actually giant across the front of this museum. And I think it's really beautiful. You can watch it online. And it was covered by the BBC in Wales and by ITV in Wales and it had a really big impact and you could see that this personal really evocative response it was just very powerful and I think there'll be you know there'll be lots of people who don't necessarily hear that voice so direct who would have heard it through that piece of work. Wow that sounds like art quiet its best really. Yeah it really is and it was it was just brilliant and it was a good example of one where the application came in and we all went Yes, absolutely. We have to fund this. And speaking of best, what makes a great day for you at work? Well, my favourite thing is funding people. It's the best. And quite often I do it right at the start of the day because I do it before I start work work. And it's just brilliant because obviously it's great news to receive. I do lots of funding applications, so I know how when someone says yes, it's really exciting. And it has immediate impact. Then I'm straight into, okay, so when are you going to launch? And so that we want to share that work with our supporters who 
who've helped to make that work possible. And they might give again and they can see where their money has gone. It's always great when someone gives us money. And the other really great thing is when we have really good debates, even if we don't, we end up not funding something that I would like to fund. But it's been really discussed. I feel like we've really kind of dug into ideas around it. It's it's evolving what Art Cry is as a concept with that group of people in that moment in time. What's your dream for Art Cry? Where do you want it to go? Well, I would love it to get to the point where we have 50k a year that we grant out. I would really love it if we had at least a part-time staff member um, <laughs> to support it, keep it going, and maybe someone who can help with comms. <laughs> and then, then I think you'll be fine. I don't want it to grow too much because I think it's good that it's nimble. And I really like that it's volunteer-led generally. So kind of where it is, but more established and with a little bit of administration with a bit of administration support (laughs) and where we feel like okay we know it's going to be around so we know we can make commitments we know we can focus on getting people to think about it i hope that it will support and become an advocate for artists involvement in political conversations and encourage more artists who have never thought about making work politically responsive work or work in the public realm maybe to do that more the fact that it exists will become an advocate and a generator how brilliant yeah she's a combination of it's an extremely inspired idea but she's driven through and she's made it happen but she's also I think just incredibly kind of considered with it as Mm. well really wanting to get to the best possible solution Mm. for this and and even just in the sense of the scale of what she's aiming for and by when and things like that the first place to start is I love this notion of I don't see this politically motivated art at really critical moments why don't I see this because you can't get the money in quick enough time or the resources don't exist. Someone should make that. Oh, wait, maybe I could make that. Oh, wait, there's no reason I shouldn't be the one who makes that. And that leap that you take going from, oh, I have this idea to, it should be me who makes it. She talks about that so clearly. Yeah. I think it's inspiring. It allows all of us to go, do you know what? There are things in my life that I wish I could do. And I maybe I could just give myself permission to do so. Definitely. And not even just the permission. It's that don't stress about it now because actually you might find that in six months time, as she said, that was the case for her. Six months down the road, she said, no, actually, I could lead on this. I just don't need I don't need to just assist on this idea. Mm. I also think there's she's right. You know, we use the notion of giving permission in such gender terms, right? Also racially driven terms, right? Like who is allowed to give permission in what way? And so much of this conversation felt really empowering Yeah, to go. I don't need anyone's permission. I don't need anyone's authority to do this. No, I just need my ingenuity and then I can test the ideas with other people and I can bring people along completely and you know what the testing ideas thing is also part of what really stood out for me Mm. is I think it was a fantastic example of how your confidence can build over time as you verbally process an idea just test the water really flesh it out flesh it out but it's interesting because that wouldn't work for everyone for some people when they are embarking on a creative or an entrepreneurial project they need to incubate it on their own for a a while before they're ready to take it anywhere. The other thing that it made me think about with these individuals that she went out to identify is, I think one of the things that holds me up from doing things is going, I need to have all of the answers before I share this with somebody, or I need to have all of the data in order to make this decision. And sometimes it's just going, I think this is good. What do you think? Mm. And going, here are two or three people and one donor who I'm going to go have this conversation with to see if it has legs. Mm. And it might not be fully formed, but let's test it out and let's see. And then it will develop over time. 
One of the things that's come up for us in the series is how do you build a network when you don't know anybody and you're early in your career? And actually, Catherine talks about being able to do this by going to What Next, yeah. right? Finding an open networking opportunity that she could sign up to, that anyone can sign up to, and going to have those conversations. They are built around the ideas of open and innovation and conversation and a network of people who want to help you get there. And also knowing scale, mm. having a really clear sense that, you know, in the end, she talks about, I want it to be 50K not 500 million thousand pounds, right? Mm -hmm. Like like it's going to be this size. It can run itself. It will always have money for an artist who wants to be able to make something, but we're not looking for world domination. No. And I think being really clear about what scale serves the idea, what scale serves you as somebody who's starting that idea and, Mm. and being thoughtful about that. Not everything has to be the next Netflix. So I'd like to thank Catherine for coming on and having a lovely conversation with us about Art Cry. And if you're interested in the fund, please check out the show notes. Hey, maybe even apply. And we've also indicated other things that she talks about, other companies that she's worked for or referenced. Those are in the show notes as well. Art's work is brought to you by Sadler's Wells in association with Barclays Dance Pass. Your hosts are Ankur Bahel and Phoebe Ree. The producer is Hester Kant and the series is mixed by Paul Brogdon. And this is our last episode. For this series. (laughs) At least. It has been such a pleasure to put Arts Work together and we really hope you found it interesting. And if you did, share it with people you love and also go back and listen to the old episodes because I'm sure there are new pieces of information, at least in the episodes that Phoebe did, that uh, you can take from. (laughs) 